0: with me in prayer. Father, we look to you now as we approach your word knowing the wonderful blessing that it is to be able to have it, to be able to put it in our mind, even to have your complete word for us as we go throughout our day and when we join together corporately now. We would ask that you would very clearly be involved. May the Holy Spirit be teaching May he be encouraging. Would you please remove any distractions that might come to people's minds, things that might be going on later on this week or even later on today? Would you allow us to focus on this wonderful blessing of learning from your word now? We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I wonder if you, like me, have ever had the experience that you felt like you were kind of intruding on somebody else's thing that they were doing. Maybe you were invited to come along to an event, maybe you were at someone's place and you were there, but it was obvious to you that there's some, something going on that you're not privy to, and you almost feel like a third wheel. You feel like you don't really belong. I had this experience um, several years ago when I was in college When I was in college, I was about five hours from home, and so it was always a treat to go to someone else's house in our town. There were some students there that we called townies, and you could go to their house and get a good home-cooked meal and spend some time there, and that was always fun. I can remember being at one friend's house. His name was John, and another student and I were over at his house on a Saturday, and it just so happened to be the Saturday of the NFL draft. I didn't put this all together until much much later but I figured out that this son my, my friend his name was John and John's dad whose name was also John they used to watch the NFL draft every year together and so as we were I think watching a movie that day and having some snacks like college students do we were having a good time and every once in a while the door to the room would open just about eight inches. And if I could ask you to try to picture this in your head, here's this dad. And this dad is a gentleman that I knew and I respected very, very highly. He's a preacher of the gospel. And I would love to sit down with him and talk and visit. But I was with his son who was closer to my age. And about every 10 minutes, his dad would come up and prop the door open about 10 inches and stick his face through like this and say, John, John. They took John Smith, number three, to the New York Jets. Thanks. And then he closed the door and stepped backwards. And I I hadn't experienced that before. I never watched the draft myself. And so as it was going on, about every 10 minutes, I thought, well, there's something going on here that that I'm missing. It seems like this dad so much is desiring to share this with his son. And I'm barging in on that. I'm intruding. Now, I didn't leave. They had free food there, so I stuck around. But having said that, I come back several years later, and that memory is burned in my mind. And I have an appreciation for the love that that dad has for his son. And for how he very tenderly, very carefully was letting his child know hey, and he was giving him an update on the draft that wonderful time that they would share, and the son, he was going to hang out with his friends instead that day. As we come to God's word today, what we're going to see is a loving father who does not give up on his children. If you're a daughter of God today, if you're a son of God today, God does not give up on you. He's very patient. He's very gentle oftentimes. Sometimes God just cracks that door open about 10 inches and he leans in and he says, Hey, Jeremy, I want to let you know this is what I have for you. We are blessed to have the teaching of Jesus Christ when he walked here in this world. And as we come to the word of God today, what we're going to see is that the child of God has opportunity to have a unique joy that comes in a lifelong purpose of keeping free from the distractions that would pull us away from purity. And when we do that, these children of God that are doing their best to walk in a pure way, they are privileged to seeing God obviously present and actively in charge, not just every once in a while in their life, but every moment of every day of their life. All right, all that to bring us to our text. If you're not there, please turn to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5 in your Bibles. If you don't have a Bible, please use one of the pew Bibles that's in the pew rack in front of you. And if you do not own a Bible, please keep that Bible as our gift to you. We'd love for you to hang on to that and read it and learn from God. Matthew chapter 5. Now, as we approach this Beatitude, and we're going on a series through the Beatitudes, and I've titled this message Heavenly-Minded. As we approach this specific passage, while probably many of us could quote this verse, I want to suggest to us that there are many scriptures that we get excited about more than others. Uh, and there's 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 some very easy easy ways to recognize these there are some bible verses some favorite passages that will make their way onto coffee cups all right those are ones we get excited about sometimes you'll see an individual with a tie and it's got a bible verse on it these are scriptures that we get excited about perhaps you have a bookmark in your bible and there's a verse on there they didn't just randomly select a verse those are intentionally chosen There are some scriptures that we get very excited about and there are some scriptures that we read and we go, oh, maybe that's for somebody else. Maybe that's for some superstar Christian. Maybe that's who that verse is for. And I suspect that when we come to Matthew 5, 8, there are some people that have this idea. Let me move on to maybe the Lord's Prayer or Psalm 23 and camp out there for a while because this Verse, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Man, I'm not sure if I qualify for that. Pure in heart. This sounds a whole lot like be holy for I am holy. And who can get there? What a high bar to set. Now, as we approach this, I want to say there are some verses that we try to avoid, and this might be in that category for some people. Because some people think of this verse, blessed are the pure in heart, as an idea of sinless perfection. All right? And you need to catch this. I, I, I have such a strong desire for people to walk away with what the text actually says. And so when people read this, blessed are the pure in heart, a, a natural thought that our minds might go to is, well, this is talking about perfection. That's what we've got to be. And those are the ones that get to see God. Well, there's two problems there, right? First of all, I've been trying for years and I'm still not perfect, so I don't fall in this category, some people would think. And the other one is they get to see God. Well, hold on. I thought everybody that accepted Christ as their Savior got to see God eventually. So a couple questions that would come up right away. Does this mean sinless perfection? If it does, many people are going to say, I'm not going to get my hopes up not going to waste my time on this one. This has got to be for somebody else. Well, if you're a student of the Bible and if you've been around Christianity for a while, you've been encouraged like me to go to Bible examples. You look at individuals that are in the Scriptures. Were they able to achieve this of what Jesus Christ is teaching here? Let's just cut to the hero of many, many Christians, and that's the Apostle Paul. Was the Apostle Paul able to achieve sinless perfection he was not in fact some of us have among our favorite verses where the apostle paul lamented the fact that the things that he wanted to do those are the things that he wasn't doing and the things that he did not want to do that's where he was pulled and so if Jesus is teaching sinless perfection here, then the Apostle Paul doesn't even qualify. If you're taking notes, we're dividing each of these Beatitudes into two sections. We have the role and we have the reward. First of all, the role. And, I, and this is a little bit longer than I've done in the past, but I, I put um, this idea together so we'd get the idea of what Christ is teaching to this crowd that's around him and to us today. Happy or blessed are those whose hearts, you can't miss that part, has to be something within, happy are those whose hearts are opposed to pollution, opposed to contamination. And this is a better way to think of this passage as opposed to sinless perfection. We're walking through our life, and it's not just that it's nice if um, purity happens but we're being very intentional to put away contamination. In our walk to follow God and please Him with our life, we're being very, very specific with our daily decisions, big decisions and small, to not allow anything to come into our life to be part of what we are choosing that would be a pollution, that would dirty our hands as we're approaching God to worship Him. I want to ask two questions about this role. The first question is this. What does this look like in your life, in my life? If we're walking through trying to avoid pollution, what exactly does that look like? Well, we are blessed to have um, the writings of John Bunyan, and if you've never read through Pilgrim's Progress, I would recommend it to you. You can borrow my copy if you like. Uh, You can buy it for pretty cheap online in Pilgrim's Progress it's a memorable um, story of course there's one not so notable character that helps us with this idea of understanding of staying away from contamination or having a purity of heart the individual in Pilgrim's Progress that I'm referring to is called Mr. Facing Both Ways and his name says everything about him this is a guy in the story that's facing this direction And he's also facing this direction at the same time. The idea is, is that within Mr. Facing Both Ways, he has different opinions that are actually contradicting opinions. And the reason that he has these is so that he can get along with everybody. He wants to not offend anybody. Mr. Facing Both Ways is everybody's friend. Now, I do want to encourage you as a Christian that you need to be easy to get along with. You need to be an individual that folks want to be around. That should be you. But I would suggest that if you're going to be obedient to what Jesus Christ is teaching here in Matthew 5.8, there are going to be some things that you must say no to. Some people don't like that word no. No. There are some parenting experts that have taught how to parent your kids from a very early age without using the word no. I disagree with those uh, experts, by the way. We don't like hearing the word no oftentimes. And yet for you to walk in a way where you are not allowing the impurities of the world to contaminate you, you're going to have to say no to some things here in this world. Now, I want to bring uh, a familiar word to us, familiar for those of us who have been around for um, some of this teaching of Jesus Christ. And it's kind of a bigger word. It's the word polytheistic. Polytheistic. Write that word down. You can break it into two. You can write a slash right through after the Y. So polytheistic means to believe in many gods. That does not translate as well for you and I today. Because when we think of God, we think of one God, big God. And we don't think of so many lowercase g small gods because we don't stack up some idols and worship them. We don't literally call something else a god. Now, it is a problem that Christians have, having something else that has become equal or even surpassed the value of God in your life. So that's how you need to understand this word polytheistic. To believe in many gods. This is a theme that we find throughout the scriptures. You can start reading right in Genesis. And again and again, we'll find that God has to tell his followers, make me your only God. In fact, it made it into the Big Ten, didn't it? The the Ten Commandments. Have no other gods before me. And everybody here would say, well, I don't have anything else that I call my God. And yeah, you can win that argument if we're just talking about the words that you use. And yes, you might win that argument if we're just talking about the list that you make. But if we pay attention to your time, if we pay attention to the register in your checkbook, then we might find out that there might be another God, lowercase g, in your life. You might be faced with the reality that you are an individual that is polytheistic. And while you would never say out loud that anything else is as important as the God of the Bible, you might find that you have put something ahead of him. And what's going to happen is that will pull you away from the purity that God wants you to have. Throughout the scriptures, we see this with God's people. When the Israelites were beautifully delivered from slavery in Egypt, and they went and they were out on their own. God said to them, have no other gods before me. They had observed in many, um, uh, they observed many gods in the people groups around them. And they thought, well, this has to be just as good. You need to understand when we talk about gods, especially in the Bible, it's not that they wanted to get rid of God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob necessarily, they just wanted to give him a fair share with the other gods. We talked about Jonah last time we were together. And if you remember the story of Jonah, Jonah was sleeping during the storm and the, uh, probably the captain of the ship woke him up and said, pray to your God. And then we find out that, they, that the, the, the story becomes known. They throw Jonah into the sea and the storm becomes quiet. And all those men, what did they do? They worshipped God at that point. I want to suggest to you, they did not throw away all their other gods. They became polytheistic. The God of Jonah became one of their gods, maybe the most powerful one. It's the same problem that we have today. Solomon made the immense mistake of taking so many wives And the big problem that we see repeated again with Solomon is that when he took another wife that had a different God, a wife from a different area, it corrupted the place that the God of the Bible held in Solomon's heart. God would have to share that place. And just for a side note for us, if you're spending your time trying to influence your grandchildren or your children, To have Christian values in their life but you're not spending time guiding them to marry another individual that has Christian values you're setting them up for a life of conflict you're setting them up for major problems When we look at Solomon, we see that his heart was pulled away from God by these wives that he took on. And I think Israel was judged in a horrible way because of that sin of Solomon. We can fast forward to the the New Testament and the book of Colossians. The theme of the book of Colossians, we can put it in three words, preeminence of Christ. Christ is preeminent. Now, why in this New Testament church did the Apostle Paul have to write a letter to these believers reminding them that Christ was number one, that Christ was preeminent? Because they were having a problem with other things coming in. And they did not say, let's get rid of Jesus Christ. That's not what they said in that New Testament church. They said, Christ is good. We love this. This is wonderful. And we need to add this to Christ, in order for us to really do what God wants us to do. They were becoming polytheistic, adding something to Jesus. All right, now you look at all these groups, and you look at all these gods, and we think, wow, that's ridiculous, they would have so many. All right, let me give us the benefit of the doubt, and I'm going to say that probably most of you don't open up your closet at home and have several gods lined up there, probably most of you if you're making your priority list don't have several gods that are ahead of God. Let's assume that you've got such a good handle on this that you've wiped out everything that would pull your heart away from God except for just one thing. Well, that's doing pretty good, right? If I've only got one thing that's competing with God. Is that a B plus? What what is that? How's that look? I want to pull us to a passage in the New Testament, Luke chapter 18. Would you please turn there? Turn to Luke chapter 18, and we're going to see an individual that wanted to come to God. He's asking about eternal life. And as this rich young ruler comes to Jesus Christ and asks the question, it's very interesting the answer that Jesus gives. Luke chapter 18, we find the rich young ruler He wants to inherit eternal life. And I want you to keep that question in mind because it's very likely that many of you have said, how can I have eternal life? What can I do to get to heaven? So keep that question in mind that many of us have asked previously and have settled that in our heart. Keep that in mind when we come to the answer that Jesus Christ gives because you might be confused. Luke 18, starting in verse number 18 and going down through 23. And a ruler asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. And he said, All these have I kept from my youth. Okay, let's stop right there. So here we've got the boxes. Don't lie. Don't commit adultery. Don't murder. Don't steal. Check. 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 Uh, Can you you imagine what his face looked like at that point? Oh, I'm doing pretty good. I'm going to get the A-OK here from this prophet, this teacher. Verse 22. When Jesus heard this, he said to himself, One thing you still lack. Sell all that you have and distribute to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. But when he heard these things, he became very sad, for he was extremely rich. When we look at this story, we need to ask ourselves, does Jesus want us, in order to get eternal life, does he ask you to sell everything that you have and give it to the poor? Is that what happened? I didn't have that experience. In fact, fact that is contrary to the truths of the gospel that I find. And so why? Why does Jesus ask this question? Why does he say one thing you lack? Go and sell everything that you have. It's because of this idea. That if he's genuinely going to follow God, there needed to be no other God that was ahead of the God of the Bible. And Jesus knew him. And he knew that this would be such a struggle. And do you remember the, the, the disciples when they talked about rich men getting into heaven? Jesus said it's impossible. He said, with man this is impossible, but with God anything is possible. So even rich men can get saved. Now this man hung his head low and walked away because there was an idol of money that was keeping him from God. Here's the application for you and I. We need to examine our life. What is there that is keeping me from a pure heart? What kind of contaminations? And here in this world, is there opportunity to get dirty? I mean, just imagine some of you took your car to the car wash in the past two weeks and you got it to where it was shining and sparkly and then you took it out on the roads and then maybe you had to go on one of these dirt roads That's kind of what it's like for christians we get it cleaned up as much as we possibly can but then we've got to go out in the world and there's so much opportunity for contamination and for dirt and pollution and so we need to do whatever we can to keep free from that We're going to have a prayer time at the end of the message today. I'm going to encourage you to examine yourself within. Is there anything that has stepped up as more important than God in your life? Or better, what earthly object is keeping you from a heavenly focus? And there's two categories. I don't have time to go into these in detail. But there are two main categories. One of them is sin. That's obvious, right? If there's a sin that you struggle with, a secret sin, maybe a public sin, that's keeping you from this purity of heart, this idea that there's something within that is drawing me to try to push away the contamination. It could be sin. And then on the other side, oftentimes it's things that are not sinful. It's things that are sometimes good. And they're the ones that we put up there, equal with God. Oftentimes we can even tie a Bible verse to it, can't we? I say this is why this is so important. And yet it has pulled our affection from keeping God in first place. And even something that is good can be a contamination, can keep us from a purity of heart. Matthew 6.33 says, But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So remember, it's not sinless perfection But it's individuals whose hearts are opposed to pollution. Proverbs 4.23, keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. So the first question, what does this look like? The second question, how does God partner with us to bring purity? So remember, you're not alone in this. You've got God. Now, don't think that I haven't secretly wished that God just made me a robot to where I always did the right thing. I always obeyed. In fact, I've I've even gone to the measures of saying, God, would you immediately punish me when I'm outside of your will, doing something you don't want me to do? I can remember a time in my life of saying, God, take me home to heaven if I ever leave the place of following after you. How does God partner with us? Very quickly, we're going to go to John chapter 15. Would you go there, please? John chapter 15. You can come back here. I'm going to read the first five verses of John 15, and we will find a combination, as God partners with us, a combination of the Word of God and the Holy Spirit. So keep that in mind when we read this teaching of Jesus Christ the familiar teaching about the vine and the branches. We've got the first three verses on the screen. I'm going to read 1 through 5 of John chapter 15. Jesus said, I am the true vine. My father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean, And so here we find Jesus Christ talking. And did you notice that he said, those with, among you who are doing good things and bearing much fruit, what does he do with those? He prunes them. That's going to seem a little bit odd to us who aren't familiar with the process of pruning. If something seems like it's doing good, why would you prune it? Let me define pruning for those of us who are uh, deficient in that area. A definition of pruning is going to be to trim or to cut back, especially to increase fruitfulness. And so even when we are producing fruit as God's children, there will be a pruning that will take place for what purpose? So that we can have even more fruitfulness. And this might just blow your mind as a follower of God because you might look at something And you might say, this is the best thing going in my life right now to produce fruit for God. And then it might be that God cuts that off. It might be that God turns your world upside down in some way. Now I need you to shake your heads yes or no to the following question. As God looks at you, and he knows every aspect of your life, and God goes through the process of taking you through some kind of a valley, Shake your head yes or no. Is your God a good God? Shake your head yes or no. Yes, he is. And even if you're confused, even if you would have written it a totally different way, God is good, and God partners with you and I by oftentimes impressing upon us what he wants us to put away, or impressing upon us what he wants us to increase. You see, God loves you too much just to stay where you are at. He wants progress, not perfection, but he wants progress from a desire that comes from deep within. God loves you too much to let you stay where you are at. And then very quickly as we close, the reward. What is the reward? We talked earlier about God's people, being able to see, or, or God's people being able to see God, what does that mean? Yes, in eternity, we will see our Savior face to face. We have that hope that we hold on to. But the reward that I want to talk about for our time here is the reward of having our eyes opened to the multitude of ways of how God is present and active in your life. I hope you've seen this. I have a word that I use and I hear other people around here use it every now and then. It's the phrase God stories. These God stories. When we walk through life and we're doing our best to keep from these contaminations, doing our best to progress, follow God, to increase in the areas he wants us to increase and to put away the sinful things and that might look different when you're 25 and when you're 65. But God, being tender to God and what he's doing And when we look in God's word, we find so often individuals that would go and follow God, but only if God would be with them. As you study the stories, we'll see that. God, if you go with me, then I will go. And we have the promise of the Holy Spirit always with us. I was talking to somebody just this past week, and they had that verbiage come out, that phrase, God stories. They said, oh, here's another God story. And they told me about what God did. You know what the world calls that? The world calls that luck. The world calls that coincidence. And if you are following after God and seeking after your pure heart, he is going to open your eyes to where you will see, look what my good God did here. No such thing as luck. No such thing as coincidence. And your faith will grow. And even when you can't see what he's doing, why would he prune this? Why would he change this? Even when you can't see it, you trust that God is working things out for his glory and for your good. So that might be down the road a little ways. And until then, we have these God stories. All believers will see God someday, but those who are walking in purity to the best of their ability, they will see God today. And they will see God tomorrow. And when this happens, they won't say, they won't cuss or regret the day. They'll say, I wonder what in the world God is doing here. With an anticipation that God is doing something good. Your eyes will be opened that God does something beautiful and sweet. All right, what can you and I do with this? What can we do with this. Number one, first, uh, what, the first takeaway here what can you do? Take a daily look at your priorities to be certain that nothing is as important as God. Now, I wish I could have just told you write your priorities down, put the date on it, and then you're good to go. But we have to add here to take a look daily at our priorities. Why? Because it changes. This might become more important, this might call for our attention. We might get lazy in an area. And so we have to, every day, take a look. Take a look at how you're spending your money. Take a look at your calendar. See if anything is becoming equal with God. Take a look at your priorities daily. Pretty much this means we're no longer playing games. We're not playing church. We're not playing games It's not that, well, I've got to pick one of these things on a survey. Am I an atheist or a Buddhist or a Christian? Okay, Christian. That's not how it works. We stop playing games, and God is so patient with us to let us take that next step in our maturity. Psalm 24, verses 3 and 4 says this, Who shall ascend to the hill of the Lord? Who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully. Now, number one, you need to take a look within and check your priorities. But how is that going to get fleshed out? It gets fleshed out in our relationships with our fellow man, coworkers, neighbors, family. And so number two, with what we can do is check every relationship and be certain. that that deceit has no place in it. How does this look? You don't do these things to be seen by men, but you do these things knowing that you might be seen by men. Check your relationships, not allowing deceit or manipulation to play any part. Who shall ascend to the hill of the Lord? He who has clean hands and a pure heart and does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully. And so, for you and I today to approach this teaching of Jesus Christ, we understand that it's not a sinless perfection that he's requiring upon us. Instead, it is a purity in our relationship to God, doing everything that we can, allowing our heart to be driven to that north, to God, and our relationship with our fellow man. And then your eyes are opened. Look what God did last week. Maybe there'll be something that happened 20 years ago and you've been confused about it and you'll say, if that wouldn't have happened 20 years ago, I never would have seen this happen today. We get to see what God is doing even during our time here in this world. And that's a beautiful place to be. It's a challenge. Every day, not allowing anything to be above God, not allowing anything to be equal with God, evaluating and looking and saying, God, make me pure. Would you take this life, the only one that I have to offer, and help me as I'm a steward of my time and my treasures and my talents, allow me to use these the best that I can in a way that will last for all eternity. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, it's my experience that your children who are following closely after you come again and again and again and ask for purity, ask for help, ask for you to reveal to us what we might change, what we might do in a better way, what we might put away. God, I would pray that for all those who would hear this message, that they would take a look within And understand they've only got so many years here in this world. and They're a steward of what you've given them. Help them, God, to walk in a way that is as pure as possible. We thank you for this encouragement of Jesus Christ, for that audience that heard it that day, and for the audience that would hear it even this day. With heads bowed and eyes closed, no one looking around, if you are here today and you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, This is new to you. You're not sure about it. The gospel is this. Jesus Christ died on a cross for the sins of the world, and that includes you. And you can turn to him and ask for forgiveness today, even while the music plays. You can say, Jesus, forgive me for my sins and make me your child. If you've done that today, but you know there's something that's competing with God, why don't you take a moment Confess that to God and ask for his help, his obvious involvement in your life to help you keep him first. Take a moment to pray.